have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. Good morning. My name is Trinity Charles, and I will be reading a poem titled Martin Luther King Jr. A man went forth with his gifts. He was a prose poem. He was a tragic grace. He was a warm music. He tried to heal the, vi the vivid volcanoes. His ashes are reading the world. His dream still wishes to anoint the barricades of faith and control. His word still burns the center of the sun, above the thousands and the hundreds of thousands. This word was justice. It was spoken. So it shall be spoken. So it shall be done. What's up, y'all? Happy MLK Day. Wish we had no class today. I ain't gonna lie to you. Amen. Um, the quote that I'm using from Martin Luther King is, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A lot of us like to talk about it. A lot of us like to tweet about it. How many of us really live it? Real talk. Ephesians 6.12, it says that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and the powers of this dark earth. So really, what's that telling me? This is not really a race issue. It's a spiritual issue. Now, I'm not here talk. I'm not going to hear and, and, and excuse uh, the racism. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the, the root behind hate and racism is an evil spirit, and that's Satan. Here's how you know it's spiritual. Spirit, Satan, is so, Satan is so manipulative, he'll have his own people even hate each other. So I ain't just talking to just white people, and, and, and I'm talking to black people, I'm talking to everybody up in here. You know what I'm saying? Hate is hate, bro. God is love. When Christ died on the, on the cross for us, it wasn't for no, just no religious, no cute religious reasons, it was love. It was unconditional. He loved all of us. We're all one body. Feel me? I heard this. I was in, I was in the hood evangelizing one day, and I, I stopped at a gas station, and this homeless dude said something to trip me out. He said that you can't say you love the Creator and you hate His creation. I'm gonna say it one more time. You can't say you love the Creator and you hate His creation. You can't say you love God and you got a funk with somebody right next to you. I'm talking even your own community, even your own hood. Martin Luther King was talking to everybody. Everybody in here, regardless of what you're going through, you have to love. And Christ, uh, he, he was the exa ultimate example. He loved me in spite of my sin. I'm struggling. I'm guilty of loving people, of judging people by their color. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm a sinner. Feel me? We all, we all in that. So remember this. Be unconditional with your love and love like Christ did. 
judged by character, not color, because even people that look like you can turn you into bad. God is love. Amen. Most gracious and all wise God, before whose face the generations rise and fall, thou in whom we live and move and have our being, we thank thee for all of thy good and gracious gifts, for life and for health, for food and for remnant, for the beauties of nature and the love of human nature. We come before thee painfully aware of our inadequacies and shortcomings. We realize that we stand surrounded with the mountains of love and we deliberately dwell in the valley of hate. We stand amid the forces of truth and deliberately lie. We are forever offered the high road and yet we choose to travel the low road. For these sins, O oh God, forgive. Break the spell of that which binds our minds. Purify our hearts that we may see thee. O oh God, in this turbulent day, when fear and doubt are mounting high against us, broad visions, give us broad visions, penetrating eyes, and power of endurance. Help us to work with rude vigor for a warless world, for a better distribution of wealth, and for a brotherhood that transcends race or color. In the name and spirit, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You get a give a hand to these participants up here. We are so excited to be able to do a chapel like this. It is our first time doing it in this way. And uh, what better way than to pull from the people that we already have here on campus? It's so amazing to be able to do it and as a community. But thank you again for being here and for participating with us today. Um, thank you again, once again, everyone who participated. All right. My sermon today is on acting humbly, sorry, acting justly, loving mercy, and acting humbly. Before I get there, I want to talk about catchphrases real quick. We all like catchphrases or anything that helps us remember ideas, concepts, principles, or anything that shows purpose. I think it's because they're short, they're to the point, but they carry a lot of connotations. For example, just do it. What does that belong to? Just do it. Thank you. Thank you. Just do it. All right. You're not you when you're hungry. What does that belong to? Speak to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, I'm going to get a little bit harder. So if you grew up in an urban neighborhood, you'd probably know what this one is. I definitely did. Um, bring in that down-home flavor. <laughs> bring in that down-home flavor. All right, church's chicken, anyone? Yeah? <laughs> All right. All right, let me throw out two more at you. Two more. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. What Bible verse does that belong to? 
You just saw it. Okay, okay, Micah. Thank you, Micah 6-8. Thank you, give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand, good job, good job. Um, all right, I have one more. To make it even harder, this is for my criminal justice history majors. See if you get this one right. Separate but equal. What court cases I belong to? Plessy versus Ferguson. Did you guys know that? I don't know if you guys knew that. Again, like I said, we like catchphrases. They're short to the point and carry ideas and principles that could be both very good and very evil. In 1892, Homer Plessy, a man who was seven-eighths black, or sorry, seven-eighths white and one-eighth black, decided to challenge the Civil Rights Act from 1875, which called for fair treatment of all people, but yet segregated color. He thought that this went against the 14th Amendment, so what he did was he decided to sit in the white section of a railroad car, seeing that if his seven-eighths of being white would still count. And what happened was it opened up a court case because he was kicked off and said, no, you are, you're black, and you don't deserve to sit in this white section. So his whole point in doing that was to challenge this and say that this was indeed unconstitutional, that it went against the 14th Amendment which stated equal treatment for all U.S. citizens, despite the color. The judges said that the separate but equal clause was justified, that it was okay for him to not sit in the same color um, and that that would not be any different. Therefore, the term separate but equal becomes a widely used phrase in the early 1900s. What a system, right? What a system, because we know for a fact that minorities were not treated equally, that they were segregated, and it caused for a lot of injustice to occur. What a broken system. But that unjust system did not start there. Actually, it was already part of a broken system that humans have implemented since the fall of Adam and Eve, but I want to briefly focus on a people, on a people who implemented a broken system to their own, towards their own people. God uses a prophet by the name of Micah to be a sound piece to speak to these people who were acting unjustly. And so God wanted to remind this people, this is not what I asked you to do. I asked you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. This is where this term, this verse comes from. So during this time, Micah, the prophet Micah, was sent to the Israelites, and the Israelites were actually split into a northern and a southern kingdom. And they were living in a time of economic prosperity, and that time was coming to a quick end because their unethical behavior was going to cause for God to remove his blessing among them. 
Micah wanted to let the Israelites know that they were not acting according to the covenant that God had made with them, which called for them to only worship God alone and to follow social and ethical standards amongst their own people, but they were not doing that. They were acting socially unjust to the people around them. The leaders were stealing from the poor, and as a result, they were um, gaining extra wealth and becoming more prosperous, prosperous because of it. They had introduced pagan worship among them, and they were not relying on the Lord with all their hearts, even though they were still sacrificing for the forgiveness of their sins. It meant nothing because they were not acting the way that God had asked them to. They promised they would, and now, unfortunately, they were going to suffer the consequences for it. So read with me in Micah 6, 1 through 8, if you have your Bibles. Micah 6 says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, which is basically stating that if the mountains served as the jury, that they would testify to God's faithfulness. And let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment, which is a formal charge or accusation of the Lord. And you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Which is another way of saying, why have you grown impatient with me? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gigal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What does the Lord require? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So the prophet Micah is basically saying here that if the Israelites were on trial, that the mountains would serve as witnesses of God's faithfulness to the Israelites throughout time. And in verses 4 to 5, Micah is recounting the many times that God delivered the Israelites from so many hands of oppression so many systems of oppression, and that God had blessed them and given them what they needed to thrive because he had made a covenant with them and he had promised to do this with them if they worshiped God alone and kept the social and ethical uh, and moral ethics, to which they were not. God had delivered them from slavery and from other forms of oppression, and they turn around and in turn cause oppression to their own people. They separated themselves from the needs of their people, hurting the covenant that they had just made with God. And in verses 6 through 7, God, through the prophet Micah, is discounting the sacrifices that the Israelites have done. The Israelites thought that sacrificing the best lambs, bringing the best oil, oil or externally doing would save them. But God did not demand that anymore. Their works 
meant nothing because their hearts were far from him. Let me repeat that. Their works meant nothing because their hearts were far from him. We have such a relational God. And where your heart is matters to him. It's what makes following him so different from any other religion. And your relationship with God means more than what you do for him. Simple enough, right? Should be. But going back to Micah, so then God tells them what he asks of them. He asks them to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And I wish, I wish I could tell you that they did it. They failed. And so did the next generation after them, and so did the next generation after them, and so did the next generation after them. All of them did not fulfill this covenant. But God and his amazing goodness and love towards his people knew that they would fail. He knew that. But it does not end there because he also promised that he would send a deliverer, that he would send someone to fulfill this covenant for eternity. And that's when Jesus comes into the picture. Can we get an amen in the house for for Jesus' amazing act? So we're going to actually talk about a little bit of that. Jesus fulfills the covenant of acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly because the Israelites were unable to do that. So go with me to the book of Matthew 8, 3. Now before we read... Matthew 8, 3, I want to give you some context. We stumble upon a story of a diseased man with leprosy. Leprosy was actually a really dreaded disease. Everyone dreaded it. It was a nightmare. It was uncurable. um, And many took on this better left for dead sort of mindset. Um, And usually, people with leprosy were separated from society. They were deemed as unclean. Um, They held no equal treatment in society. And as a matter of fact, they usually carried a belt. And then you have to shout, unclean, unclean. Just imagine. Imagine if your being prompted people to stay away from you. Or even if your color did that. Imagine that. You had to carry something that constantly announced to the rest of society that you were indeed separate from them. Lepers did not have to be treated the same way. It was justified. It was justified in this society to separate people who were sick, like lepers, and have them fend for their own lives. And that was such a lonely way to live. But then Jesus comes into the picture. And you know what God meant when he asked his people to act justly? Well, read with me in Matthew 8.3. When he came down the mountain, and this is Jesus... Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I love that the first thing that we read in this passage is that Jesus is coming down from a mountain, probably just just finishing his prayer with God. It's such a great example of what acting justly, first of all, needs to look like. Acting justly entails seeking his kingdom, seeking that which will make you 
do unto others. Meaning, your works will mean nothing, just like that of the Israelites. Your works will mean nothing if you do not seek his face. Act justly within yourself first. And then, after you've done that, and then you will learn how to make what society deems separate, unclean, unrighteous, righteous, and just. So Jesus comes down this mountain, is approached by this leopard, by this leper who asks Jesus if he so willed to make him clean. And don't miss this. Jesus comes down the mountain, and he's approached by a leper who asked him if he so willed to make him clean. And what Jesus does is he approaches him. He gets close to him. He extends his hand. Mind you, he's not supposed to do this, not in this society. He's not supposed to touch a diseased person. He extends his hand and he touches him. God could have easily stayed right here and said, you know what, why don't you go back there while I stay here safe so that society does not look at me any differently. Don't touch me. I can heal you from right here because I'm God. I'm Jesus. Do not come close to me. But no, he approaches him and touches him. What a testament to society and telling them, do not make them separate. Look at how Jesus does that to us. God did not just stay on his throne and save us from afar. We even see God touching us through Jesus and sending Jesus to live among us and to do life with us. He doesn't save us from afar. So Jesus comes to this leper. He touches him and he rips off the label of unclean, of unjust that society had placed on this leper, and he calls him clean, and he calls him just, just like he does to you and me. I don't know. I don't know what labels society has placed on me. Whether that be dysfunctional, whether that be single-parent home, whether that be you just need too much help, I don't know what label society has placed on you today. But I do want you to know that Jesus has already touched you and those labels no longer matter. That Jesus rips off those labels and puts on a different title on you and says that you are chosen and just and clean. That is how Jesus shows us how to act justly. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus shows us how to love mercy, to show reciprocity, meaning you receive it, so give it in return. You actually have heard this last example that I'm gonna, or this next example from Paul. He introduced it to us um, last week. So we're gonna return to that passage. Let's read in John 8, 1 through 11. I'll give you guys a couple seconds to find that. John 8, 1 through 11. I think we also have it up here. All right. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to to him, Teacher, 
this woman has been caught in adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charges to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Here's a woman who was considered or caught in the act of cheating with another man who is about to get stoned because she too is considered unclean. She's considered full of sin. So she's separated from the rest of society because of her sinful actions. And Jesus, the giver of life, imparts love and mercy on her. He not only tells the Pharisees, the holier than thou, the ones who served as the judges in this case, he tells them, let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I love this. I love this because Jesus levels the playing field because she's no longer separate from them in her sin. She's an equal. And he makes her clean, just and righteous, and forgiven. And he doesn't stop there. So first we see that Jesus shows us acting justly by touching a man who was considered separate from the rest of society, and he makes him an equal. He shows us loving mercy by telling the same Pharisees who are condemning this woman who's caught in a sin that they too are sinners, and so he levels the playing field and makes her clean and forgiven. But how does Jesus show us walking humbly? We're going to read in Luke 26, 42. So the context for this next uh, passage is, Jesus was on the verge of being betrayed by his disciple. And he knew um, that this was going to happen. And he knew he was going to be tortured. He knew he was going to be crucified and left to die. So before all this happens, he says in Luke 26, 42. Again, for the second time, mind you, this is the second time that Jesus is coming to his father in prayer. For the second time, he went away and he prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The way that Jesus shows us walking humbly is through his act of obedience to the Father. He acts in obedience to what he's called to do on earth. To die on the cross was not an easy ask. We see his fear. We see his despair. He knew what was coming. 
but he knew that he was going to act out in obedience because of so much love. He acted out in obedience as he encounters a broken system that when given a choice, frees a man by the name of Barabbas opposed to an innocent man. And Barabbas was a thief. He was a murderer. And they still decided to free him opposed to Jesus. He acts out in obedience as he's tortured and placed with a crown of thorns on his head. He acts out in obedience as he carries a heavy cross, as he prepares himself to be nailed to the cross until he dies. He acts out in obedience, humbling himself before the Father so that me, so that you, Arnell, Aaron, Modine, Paul, Brett, so that you and I could be made equal in his eyes. So that you and I, who were once separated because of our lack of obedience, because of our selfishness, because of our ignorance, our lust, our idolatry, our, sin, our shame, our sin, so that we who were once separated could be approach the throne freely and having free access of being able to speak to the Father. He does this so that we could be sons and daughters of a noble, most kind, and just God. So Jesus dies on the cross and resurrects to show us the ultimate example of acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly because of his love for you and me. Us humans, we've messed up a lot of things. We've messed up a lot. We've, we've created a lot of broken systems. And we're going to continue to do that. But if we seek God wholeheartedly, then the broken systems we've created can heal. Those systems will finally be able to bring justice to the people around us. Those systems will be able to impart mercy in a loving way but we're called to act humbly and in obedience to our purpose. Jesus' act of love was not easy, so we cannot expect our calling to be. His act was not easy, so we cannot expect our calling to be. And with that, that also entails not being ignorant to the things that are happening around us. God did not turn a blind eye he did not turn a blind eye to what the Israelites were doing. And he's not turning a blind eye right now. But we are called to look at what's happening around us. And we're beckoned to act in a way and in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given upon, upon us. As I end, I'm going to end with an MLK prayer. Um, as we allow for these truths to just kind of sit in our hearts. So pray with me. God, we thank you for the inspiration of Jesus. Grant that we will love you with all our hearts, souls, and minds, and love our neighbors as we love ourselves, even our enemy neighbors. And we ask you, God, in these days of emotional tension, when the problems of the world are gigantic in extent and chaotic in detail, to be with us in our going out and our coming in in our rising up and in our lying down, in our moments of joy and our moments of sorrow, until the day when there shall be no more sunset and no dawn. Amen. So for this next part, I'd love for you guys to all stand.
so we've all just learned of how we have separated a lot of people in our own society. We learned how Jesus fulfills what God called the Israelites to do and now calls us to do. But the thing is, we can't do it. We can do it because Jesus showed us an example of how to do it right so that we could follow in his footsteps. So what I want you to do is put put a hand on your chest, on your heart. And I'm not going to pray. I want you to do it. Talking to the Father is simple. You don't have to use big words. You don't have to say anything so drastic. But what I want you to, to ask is, God, let me act out in justice. Let me continue to love mercy. And let me walk humbly in obedience to what you've called me to do. I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes to do that.